Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs. We have a new governor that just was sworn in to Missouri at the end of last week. We're going to talk with B.J. Tanksley a little bit about what his new administration may look like. We also are going to talk with Spencer Tuma about the developments on the Farm Bill as it's beginning to move in the Senate out at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., as well as some developments on trade and NAFTA with Mexico and Canada. So tune in. We are going to get started right now. B.J. Tanksley is our Director of State Legislative Programs, and we had a big change happen at the end of uh, this past week in Jefferson City with Governor Greitens' resignation and the new governor, Mike Parson, being sworn into office late on Friday afternoon. We've started to learn a little bit of the details of what's going to happen in the Parson administration. So, uh, B.J., what is what have we been hearing so far coming out of the governor's office? Yeah, the uh, big news out of Governor Parson, um, his administration this week was that uh, he made the announcement today prior to meeting with the majority of the cabinet um, that he plans to keep most of the cabinet put in place by Governor Greitens. Um, the way uh, Governor Parson said was that uh, Governor Greitens had built a strong team and that he planned to work with them as moving forward. So I know several of the uh, the department heads, the director level positions um, were coming out of those meetings with, uh, with the new governor and... Uh, you know, saying their intentions to stick around with the governor to work with uh, the Parson administration moving forward. Uh, so, you know, Missouri Farm Bureau is excited about that. We've had good working relationships with both DNR and MDA and some of the other departments that that, uh, that the governor has his first hand um, in putting those directors in place. So we look forward to continuing to work with those. You know, as we move forward, there may or may not be changes. Everybody knows that as you go into new administrations, new bosses, there's always some turnover, sure. and there probably will be. Um, but at this point, you know, a lot of people speculated going in that there may be mass turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like at least at this point, it'll be slower turnover rather than mass turnover, which I think we all can probably benefit from. You know, mass turnover leads to time constraints and uh, when can we do appointments? And it just gets messy. Uh, whereas let's take our time, move forward, and, and we really look forward to, like we talked about last week, we've had a great relationship with Director Chen. Obviously, she's been a part of the Farm Bureau family for a long time um, and look forward to continuing to work with them. Yeah, and it, it is a good for continuity. Just to, We've been through a lot as a state yeah, no doubt. over the past few months. And to uh, have as, as little disruption as possible to the operation of state government, it, it is nice that the, the Governor Parson is wanting to keep as much of that uh, infrastructure in place. Plus, a lot of them have been very reasonable people, good to work with, and um, it is nice to to be able to have the, at least the opportunity to continue some of those. I'm sure some of them will leave on their own volition, and some of them he may ask to leave. That's exactly right. There is the business of running the government, mm-hmm. and those people have to be in place to be able to make the decisions that they have to to continue their, their departments running. So Sure, uh, and it takes several months to switch something over, no matter what. You exactly. know, If you try to go to a new director or something, um, there's just a lot of lost time in getting up to speed and um, turning projects over from one hand to the next. So uh, it is kind of nice to, to have that opportunity. Um, one of the other things that, that was a little bit surprising in this turnover, though, was that on the last day of office, Governor Greitens decided to sign a, a whole pile of legislation. Yeah, absolutely. On uh, Friday, you know, a lot of people were watching Twitter and watching the news to see what was going to go on um, and the specifics as it was happening. And to everybody's surprise, uh, Governor Greitens signed over 80 bills on his last day in office. Mm-hmm. You know, I would assume uh, his office had worked through the passage of a lot of those bills. His staff had helped and watched them as they moved. And uh, I think those that they were ready to make a decision on, he did. So he signed over 80 bills, including several that Missouri Farm Bureau cares about. 
Uh, he signed both of the broadband bills, both the co-op easement bill and the broadband fund bill. He also signed um, the ag omnibus bill. Um, so he's, he made decisions on uh, several of the bills that Missouri Farm Bureau cared about, so we appreciate his action on those bills. Um, bills in Missouri, if the governor doesn't sign, they become law without his signature, but it was great to see him take the initiative. Um, like I said, I think most people were probably surprised that in that last day in, action, in office that he was taking legislative action. Uh, I think it's a testament to him that he was, was thinking about going ahead and moving on some of those things. Um, I think it's something we should say thank you for because it was something that wasn't necessary. He could to pass that on to the next administration, but did go ahead and get that done. Sure. And, and how many bills uh, did he sign? How many are left um, still to be decided upon? The way I see, there's about 80 that he signed. Uh -huh. um, there's still over 60 because the legislature sent uh, about 144 bills to him this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's still a, a little over 60 for him to, to make action on, including uh, one that we care about uh, immensely, which was the DNR bill, Senate Bill 782, which was sent to the governor. Um, it includes the clean water law changes that we talked a lot about, as well as um, the state parks fencing along the Rock Island Trail. So those are two priority issues for Missouri Farm Bureau. And we look forward to Governor Parson uh, making a move on those as well. So um, I would assume that part of this was just the process of state departments letting the governor know which ones they had done their reviews on and covers mm -hmm. of. And so part of that probably was just process of what was able to, for, to take action on and what wasn't. Um, so we look forward to Governor Parson taking action on those bills as well. Um, governor Parson has 45 days from June 1st to take action on those bills. So by mid-July, we should know one way or the other. Um, but I haven't heard anything negative coming out of those bills. Uh, so we would just expect that it's probably just timing of getting those bill reviews done and getting through the process, the, the behind-the-scenes process that those departments have to do. Um, they, don't get much, uh, they don't get much credit for it, but once session's over, those departments really go to work on what passed that would affect their departments and how they would implement it. And so it does become kind of technical for them and sometimes a little timely. So and then they give recommendations to the governor. Exactly. To to sign. Yeah, okay. that's what that is. Were, were there any bills that Governor Crichton's vetoed? No, there were no vetoes that I saw. Um, at least at this point, so it doesn't look like so. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how Governor Parson differs from uh, Governor Greitens. And one of the things that is still on the agenda, though, is to try to figure out who is going to be the the next lieutenant governor. What, what's the update on that? Yeah, so there is no precedent set, and there is no law in Missouri for how that position would be filled. So you could either go unfilled. There could be a special election. The governor could choose to appoint someone to that position. So that's kind of the question as of now is politically, you know, what do we do? Um, what happens with that position? I did see on Twitter today, believe it or not, there was something on Twitter about it. Um, but it said uh, that he was considering calling a special session for the legislature to weigh in on how this would be done. Um I don't know that that's really necessary. Um, it's one position. It's a couple of years. You know, let's mm -hmm. see how this goes. Um, but I think there's probably some some smart enough legal and legislative minds to figure out how we should move forward, look at how other states have done it. But at this point, we're kind of wading into new territory of who will fill that position. Um, there's a lot of list of names out there who would be good and who could fill that. In a, in a state with term limits, there's always people that are mm -hmm. being forced out of the position that they're in that have been good leaders for the state. So it will be interesting to see how that position is filled. Sure. 
and so constitutionally, it's kind of an open question. It's it, yeah. it's uh, a, a gap in the law where it yeah. doesn't really sp- uh, clearly specify. The law the clearly says that if the governor's office is vacated, that the lieutenant becomes the governor, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say what happens with the lieutenant governor's position. Yeah, it's interesting. Just uh, something that we probably need to address in future years to, if it isn't addressed directly right now so that there isn't this question mark. Yeah, and there was an effort late in session to define that in law, mm-hmm. um, but then the legislators felt like they were waiting in. That's my interpretation of why the it, we didn't get that done, was legislators felt like they were weighing into a situation that was ongoing at the time, yeah. and it kind of felt like uh, wasn't really timely to do that without looking like you were meddling in something. Mm-hmm. So Seems like it's better to do that kind of thing when there isn't a <laughs> <laughs> specific situation you're trying to refer that, to. That's so. exactly right. Um, so I think that's probably why it didn't get done during session. Yeah, well, plenty of interesting things to keep an eye on. Yeah, the week. action never seems to stop. Yeah, uh, well, appreciate your help with this and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Yep, thanks a lot. Spencer Tuma is our Director of National Legislative Programs, and we're seeing some more movement this uh, this week, at least some announcements regarding what the future of the Farm Bill is going to look like. What have we heard coming out of the Senate? Well, so it has been an interesting week already in agricultural policy. Congress has returned from their Memorial Day recess, so they had a district work period last week. They're back in Washington this week, and work continues on the Farm Bill. Of course, the House is still set to reconsider their version of the Farm Bill by June 22nd. We've heard some movement out of the Senate this week. We're hopeful that we will see bill text out of the Senate Ag Committee uh, released in a bipartisan matter by manner by Chairman Pat Roberts and Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow. Uh, We are hopeful to see that text by the end of this week with hopeful committee markup next week on Wednesday, June 13th. Um, And uh, Leader McConnell has actually stated that he's planning to schedule a farm bill for floor time the last week of June. And so if we are able to get that that timeline moving like that, if uh, Senator McConnell is able to get it off the floor Mm -hmm. before the 4th of July recess, what would the ultimate bill uh, passage in a final form look like? So the bill, if if it passed the last week of June, of course, all of this is contingent upon the House passing their version as well. So if the House passes their version and the Senate passes their version, Congress uh, takes a district work period around the 4th of July holiday. They would come back to Washington and form a conference committee to work out the changes between the two bills. Uh, depending on what changes are made, and you were in Washington, you worked in that world you know, longer than most, but correct me if I'm wrong, the conference committee, if there are major changes, then it has to come back for one final vote. Yep, that's but typically, right. mm-hmm. that's very just procedural. By that point, yep. you know, it's it's not nearly as partisan. Sure. Well, it, it'll ultimately that part of it will depend on just how big the differences are between mm-hmm. the House and the Senate, and uh, if that conference committee vote uh, is is a very partisan vote, it may be very difficult to get it back sure. through uh, both houses. But yeah, you're right. Both houses do have to pass the final language mm-hmm. um, in order to put it on the president's desk. So it'll right. be a few hurdles still in front of us, but it sounds like we're actually making progress. I certainly hope so. You know, we are on a little bit, um, kind of have a small window of opportunity. I know there was an announcement that Leader McConnell has actually changed some plans for the August recess for the Senate. Mm -hmm. However, the House is still set to be back in the district for most of the month of August. And the Farm Bill, of course, expires September 30th. Uh, But with appropriations bills kind of coming up in September, we really 
in order to get the farm bill done on time, it's going to be very crucial that we get it through both chambers before they leave for August recess at yeah. the very least. Absolutely. I think that'll be, it would be very difficult to get it uh, passed after August. I mm-hmm. think <laughs> the odds drop precipitously once you get uh, past I that agree. August recess. I agree. Well, we've also seen um, some additional movement on NAFTA mm-hmm. and the negotiations with uh, renegotiations of the NAFTA agreement and um, some Mexican uh, tariffs being levied. Mm-hmm. Uh, where What have we seen happen in the past few days on that? So I say this every time, the trade situation is very fluid at <laughs> this point. Sure. Um, it's very unpredictable, but on the NAFTA front, you know, we did see uh, in the past several days uh, negotiations have kind of come to a little bit of a halt, and that's for a couple of different reasons. The first uh, has to do with the United States and Canada. Um, Vice President Mike Pence actually attended some of the negotiation meetings and proposed a five-year sunset on the NAFTA deal. So that doesn't mean that it would go away after five years. It just means it would go away if they didn't revote it into existence, basically. Um, Vice President Pence proposed that, and the Canadian government basically said, no deal. We're no, we don't want to do that. And so they have kind of walked away from the table only for the time being. Um, you know, that could just be a negotiating strategy. Obviously, we've seen a lot of roadblocks with this NAFTA renegotiation. I'm confident that, you know, at the end of the day, we will come to a solution, but uh, certainly thrown a little bit of wrench of a wrench in things. And, um, and I saw that uh, that comment by Vice President Pence was, described as being an ultimatum that's what i heard as well either you you do a five-year sunset or no deal Mm -hmm. that's uh take it or leave it um and if that really is the case we (laughs) it's going to be hard there's not much uh, room for negotiation between um a take it or leave it position so yeah it it certainly was a very interesting development um on the mexico side of things uh you know the trump administration had had discussions previously about levying tariffs on aluminum and steel, Mm -hmm. um, and they actually did that for Mexico, uh, uh, Canada, and the EU as well over the past couple of days. Now, Mexico in particular has stated that they are planning to impose retaliatory tariffs on some U.S. agricultural products, uh, the biggest one of those probably, at least for Missouri, being pork. Mm -hmm. Um, So what that does is it means that the preferential provisions that are included in the NAFTA agreement for pork now go away and a 20% tariff will be implemented on July 5th if we don't have any further negotiations. Mm-hmm. Now now I'm confident, you know, we're going to be working to find a solution. Now, you know, the the administration is working very hard um, President Trump's team as well as Trade Ambassador Robert Lighthizer as well. Um, but it's certainly um, kind of a roller coaster of, of issues with trade right now. You know, on the China front, things have quieted down at least a little bit for the time being. And, and most of our focus has been on on the changes with NAFTA. Yeah, there's so many different aspects to trade right now. It's, it's a lot of balls in the air mm-hmm. um, that we don't know where they're going to land. But hopefully we'll see some progress uh, uh, on those. Um, we have also have seen over the past few days some Changes in the margin protection program mm-hmm. um, with uh, the dairy dairy support program. Um, what, did, what did USDA do on that this week? So there were some changes made to the margin protection program earlier this year through a short-term spending bill. And it basically changed the way that those payments would be calculated to farmers. Those changes were all supported by Farm Bureau. Once that bill passed, then USDA had to allow producers to sign up for their um 
specific coverage level. The deadline was June 1st, but within the past, like, three or, the three or four days leading up to June 1st, they had, like, 20,000 dairy producers wow. who were wanting to sign up for the program. So they actually extended it by a week. Mm-hmm. If you're a Missouri Farm Bureau member or any dairy farmer and you're interested in signing up, you just need to visit your local FSA office and they can help you get enrolled. One other development that's that's important to Missouri uh, mm-hmm. business as well as uh, our farmers across the country is the finalization of the the, the mega merger between Bayer mm-hmm. and Monsanto that's been going on. You know, it was proposed. Gosh, I don't even know a year or two ago. Right. And they've been working through all the steps and getting all the proper approvals from different governmental agencies around the world to be able to do it. But uh, they just announced a few days ago that the the final date is this week, this Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like that's going to affect our, our members? Well, the merger has certainly been in the media. It's getting a lot of media attention here recently. Missouri Farm Bureau does have member adopted policy that states that we don't really take positions on specific mergers and consolidations of agricultural companies. But, you know, it is something that our members uh, are concerned about. You know, at the end of the day, we just want to be sure that our members have access to the technologies, goods, and services that they need for their operation and that they can access them easily and at an affordable price. Um, So that's really what we look for. But like I said, we don't really take positions on the specific um, agreements, whatever they may be. Um, But it is something that I think farmers and ranchers need to be aware of because, you know, at the end of the day, Monsanto is headquartered here Mm -hmm. in the state of Missouri. So it is certainly going to have an impact. But I wouldn't want to speculate on specific implications. Sure. And we definitely would love to see St. Louis, re- the St. Louis region remain the center mm-hmm. of plant science research, no matter what name it's under. Sure. Um, so it'll be uh, definitely good to keep an eye on how things progress as the, the companies begin to integrate mm-hmm. into one another. Yeah. Um, also, we have our uh, first step in the resolutions process coming up in the next few days uh, with our open hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we anticipate happening there? So I'm really excited about open hearing. You know, policy development's kind of one of my favorite times of year. Um, I'm excited to have the State Resolutions Committee come in and hear from agency and industry officials about issues relating to farming, ranching, and the rural way of life. Uh, we have several members of the cabinet from the state of Missouri, as well as uh, individuals from the United States Department of Agriculture and others coming to join us. And I think it's going to be a really informative meeting for our committee. Of course, as always, there's a lot of different issues going on in agriculture, and you never know what exactly is going to come up in discussion, but that's what this is for. It's for our leaders to get together and talk about issues that are going on in their local communities that they might think warrant attention from the state organization. So we're really looking forward to that. Very good. And about how many people are involved in that? Yeah, so the committee is typically uh, between 40 and 50 people, um, and that consists of members of our state board of directors, promotion and education committee, young farmer and ranchers committee, a county president from each of our board districts, and then our commodity advisory committee chairmen and women are members of that committee. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, I hope everything goes well with that. I know it's a big logistical uh, thing to organize, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely looking forward to seeing uh, what policy we learn about. We are really excited for it. Thanks so much for having us this Very week. Good. Thank you. Talk to you soon. You too. Thanks for listening again this week. We are going to talk some more about open hearing next week and see what came out of the discussions that happened with our resolutions committee. So be sure to listen next week again. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you then. Thank you.